Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Today, I have with me Christina Rice. She is a nutritional therapy practitioner and energy healer turned holistic business coach for ambitious entrepreneurs. Welcome, Christina. It's so good to have you. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Me too. We were just chatting and I identify with you on so many levels. We have had some similar health struggles in our own situations. And you told me that you really identify with that term misfit because as you put it, you were definitely a different kid in a number of ways. What do you mean by that, Christina? It started when I was really young, when I started to feel like a misfit. And I struggled with really debilitating anxiety for as long as I could remember. I think my parents didn't really know how to help me or support me. But I mean, it wasn't just being afraid of the monster under the bed. It was far deeper than that. I mean, I was very sensitive emotionally and physically. And I remember just being really paranoid and afraid about everything in my environment. I mean, when I was like from three to five, probably didn't sleep for like months on end. I would cry every night and I would just see all these spirits in my room. And it was really, it was really scary to me. And I don't even know what I was exposed to at a young age, but I had a lot of like paranoia in my head around like anywhere I would go, somebody was going to kidnap me, somebody was going to kill me. It was really, really intense and quite debilitating and stuck with me until I was probably 20 years old when I started going to therapy. I remember my parents like asking different teachers about me because I was just so afraid of everything in the world. And I would ask my parents a lot of like very intense questions from a young age about like what happens when we die. And I remember just saying like, how can you live in this world? And I was probably like four or five. I remember like this is before kindergarten, actually. I would say, how can you live in this world and go to the store when people get murdered and like there are natural disasters? My mom would just look at me like, I don't know what to say, right? So it became very hard for me to function, like just in the world and go out growing up. I mean, I couldn't stay home alone until I was like later in high school, like with friends home because I was I was so paranoid around everything coming through. And then that anxiety really trickled over into school. And I was, you know, very much a perfectionist type A and like just would stay up all night. It was like almost OCD like. Um And then middle school is when my depression started because I was feeling everything and I had such anxiety. Like I just felt like I didn't know what my purpose was. And I remember being 12 and talking, trying to talk to my mom about this. Like, I don't know what my purpose is is here. And there's so much negativity and hate and violence in this world. And I don't know like how, how to continue living like with this. It was very intense at a very young age. I think also, you know, my parents were very busy. I didn't feel like anyone really saw me. Um, And, you know, that really just continued on until college, which is when I started binge eating really badly to try and cope because growing up, that was kind of the only way. I mean, I think because my mom didn't know what to do and she would just like make me brownies or cookies. Um, (laughs) to make me feel better. And so I just started binge eating in college because I felt so purposeless. And I would go to, I went to UCLA. I would go to the counselor and try and get help. I really needed to see a therapist. And they would tell me, 
like what you're dealing with, what you're saying is too intense for us. You have to find outside help. We can't help you here. Wow. And I just remember leaving sobbing because I just remember feeling like, wow, I get turned away from like this, the psychologist at UCLA. Like, am I really that like messed up is how I was feeling. And just during that whole time, I think, I mean, really growing up, I I always, I mean, I had friends, but I always felt like nobody really understood me. I felt like I was just thinking about things and worried about things that nobody else could understand. And when I would try and talk to people about it, it was just like in one ear at the other. Um, and it was, it, it was, it was, it was a lot that I was feeling and thinking. And after the binge eating, I felt like I just needed to turn my life around. So that's when I started getting into health and wellness, which spiraled into the other direction because, well, I had been dealing with like pretty serious digestive issues my whole life. And I started to learn about the connection between food and gut health. And then it turned into realizing how many foods were giving me physical symptoms and turned it into orthorexia because I was afraid of every food. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were really like kind of the two eating disorders I oscillated between for a while when I was in college because it was like I was so afraid of every food and food started to turn into like this is a dirty food and this is a clean food is how I was starting to see it. Um, and my ment- or my physical health was, was falling apart and so was my mental health. And it kind of wasn't until I dove deeper into all of that and did a lot of deeper emotional work and started working on like the underlying root causes and, ch- and changing my diet and um, eating more unprocessed foods. I really feel like it helped to rewire my brain because a big piece of what helped me overcome a lot of my anxiety and my depression. I mean, there are quite a few things, but I really think that changing the food I was eating helped me a lot. So, I mean, it goes back to your gut health, right? When I when I finally was able to get to the root of my gut health, a lot of my intense paranoia went away. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't think about those kinds of things anymore, but that was very debilitating for me growing up. So it's kind of a little bit about why I felt like a misfit for so long. And you have come a very long way and gone through a lot. My goodness, this is since you were three, all the way yeah. through college. That's incredible. You are clearly very brave and very strong, not only to have endured all of that, but to now share your story. And I know that's what's fueled you to coach nutritionists to help people who have gone through really similar things to what you've gone through. I couldn't agree with you more. Again, in my own personal story, food has been medicine. Mm-hmm. Is that the key do you think to your transformation to someone who is now a healthy person, very successful business owner, is it just food? I'm sure it's multifaceted, but what were the big pillars, would you say, of the solution for you? Yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't just food, but I feel like nutrition is sort of the gateway into being able to see everything else more clearly. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that was the the thing that moved the needle the most in terms of my mental health um, so that I could start to think about, think about it in different ways. And I mean, I had been on so many antidepressants, um, like my, I was seeing, you know, so many different um, healthcare providers and I was on so many different depress- antidepressants and they just weren't working. They're giving me really bad um, side effects. And my psychiatrist said after like a year of trying different things, she goes, you know, I think you're SSRI intolerant. 
(laughs) Okay. Because I had resisted medication for a long time because I really, I felt like my parents had brought that up before. My mom had brought that up before. She's like, why don't you just try taking an SSRI? And I was like, no, because I'm depressed because of life-related things. And so I feel like if I can get to the root of what's going on in my life, I should be able to heal it is, is how I was thinking. But then it hit a point where it just wasn't working and I felt like I couldn't survive anymore. So then I was trying the SSRIs and then, and then I'm told I'm S- I'm SSRI intolerant and then kind of felt like throwing my hands up in the air, like, okay, another thing isn't working. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I really changed my diet, that was like the biggest thing that moved the needle. And then I started looking more into natural supplementation. So there are certain supplements that really helped me a lot. I mean, GABA, supplementing with GABA, um, amino acid therapy was super helpful for me. And then just getting in more movement and more sunshine and grounding every day was a huge game changer for me. Like, and I even noticed to this day, um, whenever I stay inside a lot, I'm just like, uh, my mood is not good. And I start to get anxious about random things. And I'm like, I don't feel like myself. And so it wasn't until, you know, that point where I really made it a priority every day to get outside, get sunlight and like put my feet on the earth and ground. And that's a, that was a huge game changer. So starting with nutrition, some supplementation and then movement. And then I started getting into essential oils. Essential oils were super helpful for me as has been like working with a great therapist, like was really pivotal and energy healing. And those two were really what started, you know, allowing me to dig deeper and start to figure out what I really wanted to figure out, which was those bigger questions of like trying to understand what I believed about spirituality and my life purpose and why we're here and why the bad things happen and all of those deeper questions that I was craving answers to and starting to explore that and feeling like, like I had open space to do that helped me a ton. So I think all of that together worked you know, pretty, pretty well to help me turn things around. And I mean, when I going back to the body, whenever my gut health, I started to notice whenever my gut health was out of whack, I was getting symptoms of depression and anxiety again. So like in college, I kept getting different types of bacterial overgrowth and I could tell before even getting tested, I would go to my doctor and I say, I know there's something wrong with my gut because I'm feeling depressed again. And every single time, that's, that's what it was. So it kind of goes back to, I mean, physiologically gut health. And I mean, I think this is something I wish I paid more attention to when I was younger and, you know, I did not eat well growing up, (laughs) you know, I was just eating processed foods all the time and I, I stayed inside. I just stayed inside. I was not an outdoors kid. And so Mm -hmm. it seems really simple, but I really just wish from a younger age, I'm curious what my mindset would have been like if I had eaten better foods, you know, taken a good probiotic and gotten outside. I think those, those alone could have, could have helped me a lot. And the self-awareness you developed was also so important that you began to recognize even before you had the testing as confirmation, what was going wrong, what the triggers were. So you could be in more control of what was happening to your body and the environment and those instigators, if you will. You mentioned several times, Christina, about the people in your life who loved you and wanted to support you, but didn't really know how. Can you talk more about that and why you think it was so hard for the people in your life to advocate for you or to to really give you the best kinds of solutions? 
so, I mean, my parents love me to death. I love them. I think they just, they really just didn't know what to do. And I think, you know, when, especially when you're young, you don't know how to articulate everything you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And so there's that miscommunication, you know, because I can see from my parents' side, they're thinking, oh, you know, she's having a nightmare. She's talking to her imaginary friend. She's, you know, and not really realizing how intense it was in my body. And especially, I mean, even for me, it wasn't until I started college and beyond that, that I started to realize how much of what I was experiencing as a child wasn't normal and talking to my therapist about it. And I was like, you know, I was a kid, I had nightmares. And the more I got into the details, she was like, this isn't, she's like, I don't, this isn't common, like how intense this was. And like to genuinely be afraid that every stranger on the street is going to kill you is, is not normal. Um, and I, I think, so I think there was some miscommunication there just because I didn't know how to articulate it. And then when I tried to, you know, I think sometimes my parents just didn't know what to say, especially when I was asking big questions. I mean, I'm not a parent, so I can't even imagine. I'm, I'm sure you get a lot of questions. I can't related. imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm sure you get a lot of questions related to all kinds of things. We're like, oh, I didn't know I was going to get asked that yet. <laughs> right. Um, all the time. Yes. Yeah. So I, I totally see it from that side. I think also because my dad is very against like therapy, mental health. And so there was some you know, friction between my parents because my mom's more open to that kind of thing. But it wasn't until I was still struggling, like struggling for 18 years. And I also, I mean, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts in middle school and high school and never voiced them, right? Because I didn't think anybody cared. And so I really, I think that like what I was looking for was more of an open space. And I remember like going out of my way to show and this is so messed up, but this is what I was doing, just to be honest, um, for any parents out there, like I was going out of my way to try and act like really down because I was, I was hoping somebody would say, are you okay? What's going on? And then, and then like try and like create an open space and try and get it out of me and make me feel like it was safe and they wanted to know. But I feel like, you know, I never felt like I had anybody asked or any, I felt like nobody cared or even when my mom would say like, why are you so sad? I'd be like, Oh, I don't know. And she'd be like, okay. And then move on to the next thing. <laughs> um, and so I, and I wanted somebody to pull it out of me. And I think a lot of people struggling with um, mental health issues, depression and anxiety, like they often want somebody to kind of pull it, pull it out of them. Um, and that's why, you know, it's so important just for, for anyone. And I remember like talking about this in high school, like you never know how depressed somebody could be and being nice to somebody could make them, could be the difference between them, like, you know, staying around and not. Um, and so I think, you know, they just, they had no experience with this before and they didn't know what to do. And they, they didn't know how serious it was for me. I wasn't expressing it. And I felt just suffocated. I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't speak my truth. Um, and I really think that was that was kind of the mismatch. And it wasn't until I got to college and I was sharing with my aunt who lived in LA how I was feeling. She was the one who was like, here, you can go see my psychologist. Like, you know, she set me up with different people to see. But I really think it was just because my parents didn't really have any experience with that. So they kind of just, you know, let it go. <laughs> and, you know, I wanted them to I wanted them to push more, honestly, is what I wanted. I wanted them to help, to try and help me figure out what to do. But I didn't feel like I, I received that. And then when I got sick in college, you know, I first was struggling with the eating disorders, which were also wrapped up with other physical issues um, that were pretty serious. 
I think again, they didn't, they didn't know what to do. And what I really wanted was to just feel seen and heard. And like there was support no matter what was going on. And they really, I felt like they they wanted to find a solution so badly, but there wasn't, I didn't feel like there was any emotional support. It was more of just like very logical. Okay. You have this problem. We want to help you. Like, let's look at this. Let's look at that. And I just wanted, like, I wanted the emotional support and like, I wanted somebody to say, Hey, it's okay to cry. Like I'm here. Right. And that's really what I was looking for. And I also really, and this is something I talk about a lot because I've worked with a lot of people with eating disorders and chronic illness is like one of the most triggering things you can say to somebody is, are you better yet? Are you better yet? Are you better yet? Right. And I'm sure you can probably relate to that with, with, you know, Hashimoto's and like, it's like, no, it's been one day, you know, and I would call my parents every day and they'd be, are you better yet? And then I would just start crying. Cause I'm like, no, it's been one day. Like it's, this isn't something, it's not like a cold right? It's not a cold, like I'm working through it. Um, and so that's one thing I think I, I became very sensitive around language. And, you know, when we become sensitive to things, it's like, have to take responsibility for ourselves. But I think also it's helpful to kind of know from the parent's perspective, types of language that can trigger the, like can trigger the person. Like I was really trying, I, you know, I was going to all the doctors, going to see all the therapists, um, all different types of people. And just to be hammered with like, are you better yet? What are you doing for this? Have you done this yet? I was just like, I want to talk on the phone and like, I want you to, I want to feel like you're genuinely wondering how I'm feeling emotionally, not just focusing on all of the logistics around it. Um, and so I think that was just really them not having experience with it and not, you know, not knowing how to handle it. And so it's like props to you know, all the parents who now I think there's so much more conversation around it than there was, than there used to be. Definitely. And so everybody who is trying to learn about these things, it's like a really beautiful, a really beautiful thing. I think if you're going out of your way to educate yourself around how to best have these conversations with, with your child and especially with the eating disorders, so much of just avoiding it, they didn't know what to say. And it was like this awkward elephant in the room. And I wanted to talk about it. And I would say, hello. I felt like I was living in a dream world where everybody's thinking things and nobody would look at me. Nobody would say anything. And I was like, can we talk about this? Like I'm struggling, like I need help. (laughs) Right. But it, because they didn't know what to say, they just didn't say anything at all, which made me seem, which made me feel just very, well, obviously not seen or heard um, Mm -hmm. and not supported is how I felt. So that's kind of what was going on in my mindset with those. Yeah, it sounds like either extreme was really unhealthy. So complete avoidance or denial that anything's going on, like you said, you felt totally unrecognized and alone in it, while at the same time, over-focusing on the solution and the fix-it mm-hmm. was also leaving you lost and and an unrealistic expectation because these are lifetime journeys. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things, I'm sure it's not even something you're cured from. It's just something you're always maintaining and managing. I am convicted myself because admittedly, I'm a doer. I am a fix-it gal. And what I'm learning from you is that it's so important that we're alongside them in the journey. Just period. I mean, whether mm-hmm. our kids suffer from similar things that you suffered from, or just anything they've got going on, good or bad. I'm really internalizing that approach of just be there, be fully present, 
listen. It's not all about what are we going to do next? What's the end goal? But where are we right now? And can I literally or figuratively sit with you in that? Mm -hmm. That feels really powerful. And that gives you the energy and the confidence to get back out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and I, I'm, I'm the same, like I'm such a doer, like solution. And whenever people would come to me and have a problem, I would be like, okay, how can we fix this? Like, what, what can we do next? Because that's what I thought people wanted. And I think going through this whole experience has really changed the approach I take when people come to me with any type of struggle, because it's more of just someone's trying to share something with you. They just want to feel heard and seen. And so just creating that space and then often asking people, I mean, sometimes when people come to me with, I mean, any type of struggle, I will really ask, I'll be like, I totally hear you. And I just, you know, I want to know, do you want me to help you find a, a solution or do you want to just talk about this? Mm. No. And I will really just ask them what they want because especially working with clients, I mean, this comes up all the time and so much of coaching people, especially people with chronic illness or eating disorders is just opening up a space for them to feel seen, heard and loved. And because that's what they're missing in their lives. And they feel like everybody in their life is just trying to, you know, figure out the next doctor, the next treatment plan, and just do taking all the action. They just want to feel like, can someone just pause for a second and tell me that they see me, right? And they're here for me and listen to what, how I feel um, is really what a lot of people want. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we're all looking for, right? Just like human connection. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I think it's a lesson in that for, for everyone and in any type of relationship, even romantic relationships, right? It's like, oh yeah, when your husband is complaining at the end of the day about something and it's like, we think they want a solution, but usually they just want to get it out and then kind of leave and do the next thing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then you offer a solution and, and they're like, no, 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 I didn't want a solution. I just don't want to say it versus like women usually want to talk it out. Right. And like, keep going through it. It's like, it's very different. And so I think just with anyone in your life, whatever the the problem is, um, opening up that space for them just to feel heard and know it's okay for them to have emotions and, you know, not feeling like you have to be the savior or find the next logical step right now and waiting for them maybe to ask or even asking them if that's what they want. I love that advice of asking permission and that someone speaking with you about their feelings or problems is not the same as them asking for help or advice. Mm -hmm. Those are two distinctive things. I love that. So you talk about the importance for you, at least, of getting out of the victim mindset. Why was that critical to your personal transformation? It was very much just like, I'm struggling. I want someone to come save me, right? I want somebody to hear me. I want my parents to pay attention to me. I want someone to fix me. Like it, it was, it was, it was very much victim mindset, right? And that's not to invalidate the way I was feeling. I think it was all valid, right? I think anyone's feelings are valid, but like I very much just wanted people to pay attention to me or to help me. And it took me kind of hitting rock bottom and realizing like no one's going to help me um, to kind of look myself in the face and be like, I cannot live my life just really being a victim. Like this is all happening to me. Why am I depressed? Why am I anxious? Why do I have these chronic health issues? Like no one can fix me. Like, I mean, and that's a really dark way to look at your life. Um, 
And that's really what drove me to like lean more into my spirituality and energy work and explore more of that. And just, you know, going into those deeper questions and like really believing there's a purpose in everything. Um, and you know, what have I learned from this? And I learned a lot of strength. I learned a lot about, um, supporting myself emotionally. And I was really forced to turn inward and discover myself in totally new ways. And instead of sitting there thinking like, who's going to listen to me? Who, who wants to be my friend? Who wants to help me? It's like really learning independence in a whole new way of, I don't need anybody too. It's great if they do, that's amazing and wonderful, but I actually can do this myself. I can learn to support myself. Right. And because I was looking for external val validation from from everyone. And so it wasn't until, you know, I really like slowed down and, and realized that like, you know, nobody else is going to come save me. So let me figure it out myself that I realized how much in the victim mindset I, I, I was. And I really think that was also just keeping me, keeping me sick and unhappy. Right. Because if you're waiting around for everybody else to fix things, like who, who's going to fix it. <laughs> so yeah. that was, that was very key for me. And if you don't believe you're worth it, mm -hmm. then no solution's going to stick. Exactly. Nothing's going to really work because you're not going to keep to it. And, and that belief of I'm worth it. I'm worth the extra effort. I'm worth the help. I'm worth these relationships. It has to start there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've already shared so many great little nuggets of advice and strategies in this entire conversation. But for those parents listening that have a child in their life that is suffering from mental or health disorders, what is one small, simple step they can take today to help their child? I think the main thing is honestly just sitting down and giving them open space to share how they're feeling and letting them know that they're safe to feel and that whatever they're feeling is okay. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry and just giving them that open space and telling them that they're loved and they're safe to feel because I already know, like if you know that your child is struggling with that, I'm sure you're looking into different options for how to help them. Right. I'm sure you're already mm -hmm. looking into the logistics stuff, but sometimes we can get so caught up in that. And, and not just slow down and give them open space because how is that child feeling? And in that moment, they're probably just looking for someone to care for them, right? Which can just mean like holding them while they cry, right? And saying mm -hmm. it's okay, you know? Like mm -hmm. that's really what they're looking for. So I would say, you know, if there's one thing you do, like really genuinely, you know, telling your child you love them and that it's safe for them to feel and that there's open space here for you to share everything that you're feeling because your child might be holding back some things that they're feeling <laughs> um, because they're afraid. They're afraid they're going to get judged or somebody's going to get mad at them. Um, and I think just opening up that space will start to build trust in a whole new way. And that's going to be really pivotal for the rest of their lives. When I was younger, not feeling seen and heard, and I see this with so many clients in those moments when we're younger, we learn that we, we can't, we're not safe to feel. And then we start to turn the, those feelings off later on in life. And that shows up in so many different relationships. Um, and as they get older and there are things that you really want them to share, you wish they would share it. They're going to learn, they're going to have learned at a young age, like, oh, I, I just should keep this part of my life shut off. Right. So you really want to cultivate that open relationship, which I think most parents do. I think, you know, starting from a young age, just letting them feel safe to feel their emotions is a really, really important step. There's a favorite phrase in our house that we say to each other, which is 
there's nothing you can do to make me love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. I love that. And I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah. They have to feel, to your point of safe space, that I'm safe to share every part of myself. I mean, it should be in our homes. Mm -hmm. That should absolutely always be the place. And I can share that without impacting how you feel about me, in particular, how much you love me. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do love that. And, and I think it's important not to think that's implied or assumed. We really need to say that mm-hmm. to our kids, especially. They need to hear those words. Christina, for those that are interested in learning more about you and the work that you do, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah. So you can find me on my website, which is christinaricewellness.com. I also host a podcast called Wellness Realness. And I'm also on Instagram at Christina Rice Wellness. Awesome. Well, I am so glad that you took the time to share your journey with all of us and your incredible wisdom that's come out of it. Thank you again for being on Mothers of Misfits. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you having me on the show and loved this conversation. So thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.